you know, I'd say where I work, like what level of leadership I coach at, these are themes. But I think it's managing complexity is huge right now. Just navigating. You can't even manage complexity, I would say, but it's working through complexity, making meaning out of what's happening around you. It's very challenging now. My name is Sarah Plankert, and you are listening to Iterations, the podcast. We talk to the brave, unconventional Canadian leaders and innovators who are making it their business to reinvent, or shall we say iterate, the way we work. Let's make change together, because we can absolutely rebuild these systems and structures that humans invented in the first place. Sean Rasmussen here, producer at Iterations Podcast. And today we're doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be interviewing the host of Iterations, Sarah Plankert. Sarah, thanks for speaking with me today. Happy to. I'm actually really looking forward to this one. It's kind of fun to be on the other side. (laughs) So Sarah, in addition to being the host of Iterations, you have a thriving executive coaching practice. You're the mother of two and you're neurodiverse, which you just recently discovered. And we'll get to all those things in a bit. But uh, for people who are just tuning into the podcast, maybe for the first time, what is Iterations of Podcast about? It's about supporting leaders who I already support as a coach, you know, on a one-on-one mechanism. And what I noticed is leaders often struggle through the same things, and yet they're doing it in a silo by themselves or with their coach or with their team. But I just find there's all these themes that I see every year in coaching, and the big theme hence the name iterations, is that there isn't one answer for anything anymore. And I'd say more so than ever before in life. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, an old, old person, but I think the world is getting more complex. And so leaders today, at least in my career, are iterating, experimenting and playing with ideas and concepts more than ever before. And I think it's just embracing the idea that that there isn't one answer, there's no perfect solution. And so the best thing we can do is take steps forward, iterate and and um, learn together. And so that's what I'm hoping this does is we learn together through iterating different topics and yeah, bringing the voices in one space. And it's Canadian, all Canadian leaders. I really like the fact that you have a Canadian focus too, because we get so dominated by the American media. So it's nice to have a change that way. I'd love for us to have more focus on ourselves and, and our own community in Canada for leadership. Yeah. The tagline of iterations is often uh, challenging the nine to five. And why have you chosen to focus on that particular group of workers and leaders? Well, because it's what I know, I suppose. That's my client base, right? Our corporate knowledge workers and they work nine to, well, I mean, we all know nine to five isn't exactly nine to five, especially now, but uh, that's the traditional name for it. And Yeah, it's where I hang out. It's where I get to play. It's where I hope I can add value. And I think that challenging it and it is being challenged is part of the theme, right? Like challenging the way we work. Who are leaders who are saying this isn't this isn't optimal? What what can we change and celebrating those leaders, but also looking at the things that are pushing into the nine to five and challenging it like AI, that episode or um you know, hybrid work, like that's just stuff that's coming from the outside world into corporations and leaders are facing that as well as, you know, what is the leader doing to challenge or change something that helps us move forward? Well, you brought up coaching a couple of times, so maybe I'll get get to the coaching now because I'm I'm really interested in executive coaching. I've never done any executive coaching myself. I've done some therapy, Mm -hmm. but I know they're different and I kind of want to 
just explore that a little bit with you about what it what it is and who who gets it and who, who you know who pays for it and stuff like that yeah i think it's interesting that you immediately compared it to therapy <laughs> but i think a lot of people compare it to different things like people can also assume you're a consultant they think oh you're going to come in and tell me what to do which is not coaching sometimes they think it's mentoring oh but they're like but you haven't had a job like mine how could you coach me and i'm like well that's a mentor a mentor is a person who's done what you want to do and can tell you how they did it so there's a distinction of coaching between all those things, therapy, consulting, mentoring, advising, performance management. Like some, a lot of times clients reach out, potential clients reach out to me to, cause they want to fix a person. And I'm like, that's not coaching. <laughs> I don't, I don't fix people. <laughs> do you have to go do intervention? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's the leader's job to give the feedback. So I could work with the leader if you want on how they want to give feedback. But You know, at the baseline, I guess people kind of think we're all those things, but coaching is its own industry and its own methodology, its own practice. It's a regulated industry. Um, If anyone's hiring a coach, I always say, like, make sure they're, you know, a certified coach with the ICF. But coaching is basically someone who has been trained in a specific conversational methodology. And even more important than the methodology, because anyone can Google the methodology, is that has developed competencies that allows them to be a thought partner to another person without interfering or shaping or telling or guiding the other person where to go. What a coach does is trained in deep listening skills and the ability to understand what the other person is asking of themselves and helping the other person see themselves or see situations with more clarity so they make better decisions for themselves. We're not attached to the decision. That's their learning journey. That's their life. (laughs) Right? Like, and, and, you know, so a lot of it's managing biases and managing your own desires. Like you might be like, I see a perfect answer for this person, but you don't because you're not in their shoes. You only know a small slice of the pie as a coach. And so we're always mindful that like, I see this much of a person's life. I meet them twice a month for an hour. Um, But a very effective coach helps a person clarify their own thoughts so they make their decisions faster, better, not necessarily faster, I might take that back, but better decision quality, right? And we're also growth partners. So the person, like often we're involved in feedback. We can even act as someone who gives them feedback because a lot of times people don't do that in organizations. So sometimes we let them know, like, can I give you feedback on how I'm experiencing you right now? And they're like, oh my gosh, that's probably how my team experiences me. And then it's like, okay, so how do you want to grow? Like, what would be the new way, you know, that you want to evolve as a person or change as a person to be more effective, to get the results you want? You know, so I would say that's what we do (laughs) in a nutshell. So we meet with people. I mean, I think coaching is one of the most fabulous services out there, obviously. That's why I'm doing it. But I think it's also an effective coach is a great thing to have in your life. And not every coach is effective for every client. I'll say that. But I mean, anyway, obviously I could go on and on about coaching. I think it's really apparent. I know. I love well, that's it. why I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> I love coaching. I love it. I think it's such a, I love my, like having a coach in my own life for myself has been such a gift. So I know the power of it through also receiving it. What's a typical engagement like? Is it a period of month or so or six months or how does that work normally? It's all over the place. It just depends. It's all over the place. I've worked with clients for five plus years and then I've worked with clients for three months. Like sometimes it's just like a quick 
support to a program or support to a change initiative. Sometimes it's ongoing. I just value having a thought partner because I can't go talk to my team about this and I might not want to go talk to my VP about it either. (laughs) Or I am a C-suite executive at the top and I have nobody to talk to about like because we don't always want to expose all the ramblings that are going on to everyone around us. But our coach is that space where you can do it. So I have some clients I've worked with for a long time and some, you know, the organization just hires us to come in for like a short project or a leadership program to support the leadership learning. So I think it's all, it's all over the map, to be honest. What are the, some of the most rewarding things for you about doing that? Yeah, I love helping someone else just enjoy life vis-a-vis their, like, and their career has a huge impact. Um, I also love helping leaders be more effective with their team, like just sorting out the team dynamics and team coaching, which is kind of a new thing. I've been doing it for a few years. Team coaching is really cool. Just helping teams understand themselves as a team entity because it kind of becomes its own thing, right? Like now you're a team and now you have this culture and this behavior in your team that you're all influencing. Like it's just, it's so complex and layered and yeah, all those things. It's just fun being in the thick of it. whatever the thick of it is. Because at the end of any coaching session, any good coaching session, you leave a bit lighter, like feeling like you have an answer to something you didn't when you came in. Some more clarity. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I'd love to have a coach. Yeah. Well, you should get one. <laughs> I think everyone should have one. <laughs> no kidding. The right one. One of the things that sounds appealing to me too, is that people are coming to you and they want to change they want to work at it sometimes as opposed to like other types of of <laughs> like say therapy for example where the person might be not really engaged or wanting to do the hard work that it takes to progress well i'd say people show up with co- people are assigned coaching a lot of the time and they're oh, like what can you okay? do for me and so there is always work no matter how they're you know it's nice when people come in eager of course but a lot of people don't know what coaching is and yeah they're like what is this a therapy session and it's like okay well let's just pull back a moment and and so it's trying to find like what is meaningful for the person so they do want to show up for the relationship that is like quite a lot of work when you're being assigned clients so i don't do like one-on-one clients a lot i go into businesses where the business is paying for the coaching and the leaders are given a coach. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. So some people are like on board like that. Maybe they've worked with a coach before and had a good experience. Some people have worked with a coach and not had a good experience. So there is always this kind of, you know, what is this relationship about? What is it going to be about for you specifically? There's a lot of work up front in a coaching relationship to establish value. For the Which per- sounds like a really interesting conversation to have. Too. It is. It is. And and sometimes we've established that they don't want coaching. They want a mentor. It's like, OK, well, like, let's not waste our time or the business money on the coach. Let's go go join a mentor. You know, there's lots of mentor organizations out there that match people with mentors. So it's important to have that. Like you don't want someone showing up for a conversation they don't want to be in. That's for sure. <laughs> like you have access because you go into all these workplaces. You talk to all these people. You're doing, doing coaching. I wonder if you noticed any sort of broad themes in the last three, four years, five years that you've been doing it about what's going on for these people who are doing this type of work, leaders and in these organizations. Yeah. Is there there themes? Big time, big time. You know, I'd say where I work, like what level of leadership I coach at, these are themes. But I think it's managing complexity is huge right now. Just navigating. You can't even manage complexity, I would say, but it's working through complexity, making meaning out of what's happening around you. It's very challenging now, right? It's very, there's, there, it's so complex of a world, especially for businesses. 
and then like evolving change adds to the complexity. So it's like showing up through change, being agile, being nimble, whatever words you want to use for it. But we're all working through change. I mean, the pandemic gave us the greatest change of our life without any foresight. That was really hard. And then, so I think like even prior to that though, we were kind of getting on that anyways, like the complexity, the change, I think to decision-making is a big thing. That's where a lot of leaders would like support on decision-making. And then I think the other big thing, you know, that really came out in the last couple of years and, you know, iterations is trying to do this, is trying to say, what are the themes of the day that we're going to talk about? And I think when I started the podcast, I interviewed a lot of leaders and potential guests I co-create with them. I don't reach out to them and say, do you want to talk about this subject? I reach out and say, do you want to be a guest? What's on your mind? What's going on? And we interviewed a whole bunch of leaders at the outset of this. And it was like spaciousness, burnout, busyness, stress. Like those were the big things right now, for sure. And I think we see that in our society. Society reflects business big time. And business reflects society both, both, both ways. So we're seeing it. Mental health. You don't necessarily like grand narratives on at a societal level, but can you see, do you have any visions for what you'd like the Canadian workplace to look like in the future? No, I don't, to be honest. I really don't. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a person who lives very far in the future. <laughs> I'm like, let's work in the moment. And I think that's, and that's iterative, iterative, right? It's like, what step can we take today? I think that's a lot more manageable than like, what do we want in five years? And I mean, I think, you know, CEOs work at visionary levels, mission, vision, planning, strategy, but I think then it's, they're changing as we go. So for me, you know, working in just this space of what feels right today, what can we do today that is going to be reasonable for us to do? And that's going to help ourselves or help the business or help another person, so yeah, I don't I I I don't have a vision, but what I wish for right now is for people to continue with some of what we've been seeing, right? Which is having dialogue, improving leadership, thinking about teams, thinking about complexity, realizing there's no answer um, and moving along anyways, right? I think it used to be like we waited to have an answer before we took action, and I think more and more you're just seeing people be like we don't have an answer. Let's try this. And I think I think if we keep doing that, eventually the ways we work will become what they need to be for us to have better work experiences and for businesses to thrive. I mean, at the end of the day, the business has to thrive or ain't nobody going to have a job. Exactly. <laughs> like, but I think just continuing, I think iterations, as we're talking right now, it's becoming more apparent to me why iter- iterative processes are more important to change we need to iterate and people are asking for change and we're all asking for different change <laughs> i know that recently you had a, a adhd diagnosis is that right yeah and so kind of later in life the diagnosis basically yeah um, can you talk a little bit about what that means to you I always felt different. I've always felt different my whole life, but like working in a nine to five, I was like, how are these people paying attention in this meeting for like an hour? Like I am so over the subject and ready to move on. And don't get me wrong. Like I love digging deep into complexity, but it usually has to interest me and other people seem to be able to just sit through everything. So I was like, how are they doing this? I mean, it just, everything kind of got stronger for me when I got into corporate, just that even like I kept telling my boss, like, I don't, I don't want 
a marathon, I want to sprint. That's what the language I was using, which is so ADHD. It's like, I need to change up my work. <laughs> like a long-term, I was managing these big long-term leadership programs that were, you know, very project management heavy and my interest would wane very heavily. Um, and, you know, lots of people say, yeah, that's normal, but like, you don't get it until you're like, you just can't, like, unless you're the person like with ADHD, like me, who just like, it is like a next level thing. Like it yeah, is it like, it actually kind of hurts almost. Like yeah. it's, it's so boring. It hurts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I even got that diagnosis suffering from boredom, <laughs> but I actually ended up having so much anxiety in, in the nine to five experience that, and at the same time, someone, you know, a dear friend of mine who I facilitated with, and I was still doing like some side gig work when I had my nine to five said, one of my colleagues said, oh, I think you might have ADHD. And I didn't know what it was, to be honest. I was like, no, I don't. No, I don't think so. Because I had an impression of what it was. But then when they shared with me, you know, some of the traits, I was like, yeah, 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 those are all me. And they were like, yeah, (laughs) that's ADHD. But it was that kind of like, having to work in a certain way, like having to be present from nine to five, like there was that expectation in my organization. Yeah. And like, I'd go for walks and feel really guilty in the middle of the day, which I don't as an independent consultant because it's my own time. I, I would be like, okay, I have to work right now. And I'd stare at a screen for like two and a half hours and get nothing done. Like nothing. Like I was like, this is just ridiculous. I'd be on a project. I'd love it for the first month. And then I'd be like, I'm so bored. (laughs) It's also probably why I never kept a nine to five job. (laughs) Probably because of my ADHD, but this was revealing for me. It was extremely revealing. And it's pretty common. Like as life gets busier, the ADHD becomes more apparent. So when I had more space and freedom as a young, younger child, teenager, even in my early, you know, years, and as a consultant, I have given myself lots of space. But as you know, as life gets busier, add some family to the mix, some kids, uh, it's pretty common for females to get diagnosed as they're managing more and more stuff, right? And it becomes harder to keep up with it all. Mm-hmm. And I can see how how that would make you really think a lot about work and mm-hmm. the way people work if you if you just don't have the same way of doing things and thinking about things. People with ADHD have really strong strengths. Like I think reading abstraction, reading complexity, um, social dynamics are usually pretty engaging and also fluid for someone with ADHD. But I think it's the the ongoing nature of work. I think it's the showing up every day with the same, with the expected same performance. And it's like, well, it's not going to work. I do not have the same performance every day. Like one day I'm a rock star and I get like 30 things done. And then like four days I do nothing, <laughs> but people are still always telling me, oh my gosh, you get so much done. I'm like, do I? Cause I feel like I just can't get things done. Like people with ADHD are high performers, but not every day. <laughs> right. But, oh, but if you take the, you know, the overall, I think we can be unless unless it eats us up and we, you know, which I think was happening to me at my role. I was getting so much anxiety. I, I and I, you know, it was tough. It was so tough. But I, you know, I just think even emotional management is part of ADHD, right? Like it's just it's harder to get through the tough times. It is harder. Yeah, we all have them. We all have them. But it's harder when you have ADHD because emotional management and impulsivity are, you know, usually something that you, no matter how hard you try, you know, they don't improve a whole. Yeah, you don't have the same ability as other people in those areas. And there's no pill for emotional management. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe one that numbs you, but then that's no good (laughs) either. Yeah. And do you think there are things that, you could say or advise about dealing with this 
No, I don't think I have much advice. No, I think there's a lot of people out there who have tons of advice. I think, but you know, I don't, I think advice in general is very difficult. And actually that's why in the podcast, I try to steer away from advice kind of, you know, when you think of iterations, we're all just trying and figuring things out. And I think one formula for one person isn't for another. One formula for one business isn't for another. One formula for one leader isn't. So I think even like, I think probably as my visceral reaction to like the word advice, I don't have advice. Um, also though, like, I think it's just how we show up in conversations together and be honest. And I was trying to do that, you know, in my own role, I was trying to, you know, like I was said earlier, marathons versus sprints, give me sprint projects, give me sprint projects, give me short, quick, exciting projects. That's what I need. And I think it's listening to those things, listening to each individual person, whether whatever, whoever they are, whatever they live with, just listening to each other, having the conversations and working through a system to help each person thrive which is the work of a leader, essentially. That's <laughs> the work of a leader, right? And, and that's not easy work. It's not easy for the leader to do that while meeting organizational standards and requirements at the same time. It's really interesting. Being a leader, I admire. <laughs> you've, you've done well without having a diagnosis. You just kind of learned how to manage it yourself and had a very successful career. So is it, does it benefit to you to have like a label for it now? Yeah, and what I would say is... I think many people who have ADHD have extremely successful careers. It's the experience of that career that's been the struggle, right? Like, I think, you know, it's it's how you got here that was like, a, a you know, a quite a different pathway. I know so many people with ADHD who are highly successful. I happen to be surrounded with them and had no idea. But I think that what the label has done for me and or, you know, I don't know, label is a great word, but diagnosis has done for me is helped me realize that the things I was working on that weren't changing aren't going to change. And when with my diagnosis, people around me were interviewed and it was shown that they would never suspect I have ADHD. I mean, you know, I've been able to create strategies for myself that have helped me thrive and help me succeed in the places I want to, which is a big part of walking with ADHD as well, I think is that, you know, when something interests you, you're going to, you're going to do well. And so I've had a really great career where I've been able until my nine to five, I was able to ultimately pick what interests me and work in those areas. And the minute I'm uninterested, I don't succeed. But now I know it's like, but that has nothing to do. I always wonder, do I lack discipline? Do, do I not have resilience? Well, I, I don't really have great resilience, actually. <laughs> um, and so what? So what? And the minute I was diagnosed, my husband was like, don't change who you are. Because that is what's so incredible about you, all those things. And like, so I think just having, you know, and Carm talks about it in the ADHD episode and iterations, it's like surrounding yourself with people who allow you to be exactly who you are. I'm sorry, but I'm judging myself enough. I don't need people around me judging me. <laughs> Everyone can relate to that statement, right? Like that's a human kind of experience, I think, as we do a lot of self-judgment. So the diagnosis in a way also helps cut that judgment a little bit. Yeah. Just that's right. Thanks. Yeah. That's a good way to summarize it. Yeah. I just, now I can just say, okay, Sarah, like that's not something you're going to change about yourself. Good job trying for whatever, 40 some years, <laughs> or whatever, you know, without knowing what was going on. Um, and how do I just embrace it from here? But being in this industry and field of executive coaching and working with people, you know, like we do a, like, you know, we're alongside like brain science kind of work, behavioral work. It's helped me tremendously tremendously you know and I think that's probably why I excelled 
is, you know, working in this environment and doing a lot of self-reflection, awareness of others, um, all the, all these leadership things, right? Building trust, building empathy, you know, seeing systems. I guess the, the, the new hybrid work thing can, can work well for some people who, who, who are a little bit different that way. Like it, they can kind of carve out a little bit more unique way of working for themselves. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, but again, it's, it's just, there's so many individual preferences out there. I mean, I know lots of people say that lots of experts say that. I think a lot of organizations are trying to get rid of their rigid systems. And I think that, that this is all going to help, right? All this awareness, all the <clears throat> heightened dialogue around many different areas. I think organizations and leaders are definitely trying to be less rigid, but it's that balance of like, we still need structure. We still need clarity. We still need, we still need all the other things that have worked really well. And I think that's the iteration, right? That's the like, so what are we going to do? We can see so much potential, and yet there's not a clear pathway forward. And by the time we make a plan that takes two years to roll out some change, halfway through, the whole world has changed again, it feels like. It's like, oh, oh. <laughs> so, hence the iterations. Hence the iterations. Exactly, exactly. You are a mother of two, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious as to how you feel that motherhood or parenthood, generally speaking, but motherhood in particular, fits in with all of that. You interviewed someone on the show about this, and she ended up taking a little bit of time to work part-time to just have a bit better balance with her family. Yeah, and I really love that episode because it's also about like noticing the impact of how every the impact that you in your work life has on your family. And um, I mean, I think, yeah, anyway, this is like a huge other topic about hybrid work and how that's impacting families as well. But for me, you know, I've made a choice to work the way I work so that I can also be with my family and still earn what I feel is what I'm, I don't know what the right word is, but earning what, what I need to earn, what I want to earn, right? So I've just kind of balanced this all out in my own kind of matrixed puzzle. I'm not working a corporate job. I did try that for a few years and left, but I did have a good amount of flexibility in my corporate jobs. I think a lot of corporate jobs are allowing, you know, parents to do pickups and drop-offs and have kids at home while they're working. But I think the schedule has changed. (laughs) I think, you know, a lot of people work from nine to three and then from like 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. or and then a little bit on weekends. But I think, you know, um, our children watch us and not just our parents. They watch society with a very heightened awareness and they, and it impacts them greatly. And so I think that's one of the things we're iterating and sorting out. Like, I think we're kind of trying to discover, is it good for them to see us sitting on a computer all day at home when they get home from school? You know, (laughs) like, is that good? Is that good? And they're asking for your attention and you're like, sorry, in a meeting. I don't know. (laughs) It's like, we'll figure it out, right? It's iterating. That is something we're iterating with this hybrid work is is how it's going to impact our families. And I think I'm on that journey too, for sure. Yeah. Just trying to figure out what to expose them to or what not to when I'm working from home. And do you feel like it's different for men and women in this way? Like when Um, you compare it to your husband's experience with, with working and bringing up kids? I mean, I think my husband and I are a unique case, to be honest. I think we have different viewpoints sometimes, but we also have different experiences. My husband came from trades and ended up quitting his job. Parental leave was seen as a vacation. (laughs) He did take parental leave to raise our children. Um, We split our parental leaves. I think that 
my husband and I balance our workout very nicely and give and take a lot. And I think a lot of, you know, younger couples these days with children, that is the approach. But I I can't speak for everyone because I also see lots of women speaking up saying that they aren't getting the same opportunities as their husband. They are bearing the weight of child. And I think sometimes they, you know, sometimes they want to. And sometimes maybe not, right? And so I think that's part of what narrative are you creating for yourself? And are you in a family system that allows you to create that narrative? Or are you willing to take the risk to make that narrative what you want it to be? So I think for my husband and I, we're both very open about what we want to create in the family and we collaborate on it. And I feel so blessed for that. Yeah. And so it sounds like gender roles are are much more um, negotiated and fluid in the sense with in your situation. A hundred percent. And I hope, you know, anyone who wants that has that. And I hope that, you know, people who want something different have that. I mean, it's such a um, case. And some people have jobs that don't allow that. For sure. Some people have jobs that don't allow for that. And so I recognize that too. I know there was that, you know, in different waves of feminism, there was that big debate about can women have it all, you know, like yeah. <laughs> raising the child and having the big career and doing all that stuff. And it does something fall by the wayside if... If, yeah. if you do that and it something specifically for women as opposed to men. Yeah. And my husband has given me so much space to define my career and I am forever grateful. Like he's the one who invested in my graduate degree in executive coaching when I did it. He, he gave me the space. He paid for it actually, I think for the most part. He believes in me when I said I want to do this podcast and it was going to take a time investment and obviously a financial investment. Um, he said, run all the way, girl, you go. And I was like, thank you. And he actually, you know, took parental leave and he took care and actually left his job for my career. Um, Also because he wanted to define a new one for himself. Uh, Moving out of trades wasn't great for family. I think too, it's nice to be, as a a man, it'd be nice to have a bit more time with kids too, right? Oh, he loves it. Yeah, he is an amazing parent. Um, We're actually just right now negotiating how he can get back to having more time with the kids because I've taken on more and it's who's best at what, right? It's kind of like out of business. What are your strengths? <laughs> my strengths are not getting the kids to school. My strengths are doing creative projects, right? So it's like, how can we have him getting the kids to school more because he's better at it? You guys seem to be like a particularly, you know, unique. It, most people might not have it that good in terms of divvying things yeah. up. Yeah, no, we're lucky. And we've carved that out for ourselves. <laughs> and are, are there, is that, is that a, is it a personal thing or does it, is it, does it have to be a policy decision are the things that we need to advocate for that way? Or how do you, how do you see that bigger Oof. picture stuff? Oh, there's so, I mean, everything, I see everything in layers and I see a lot of layers to many things and I see a lot of layers to that. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, if I were to pull out a few of those critical layers, I think it's people advocating for themselves and what they want. I think it's leaders being able to see the value in someone outside of the you know norm of like, I need you on time and in person for these hours and not in person, in person, but in person, like I need like nine to five, you know, if you're rigid about a nine to five, you can lose a really great employee because they might value something differently with their family. But if you give them flexibility, they could still be your employee and they can still deliver just as much value. I think we get too bound up in in the hours of work as opposed to the outputs of work. I was telling someone the other day, you know, like on Sunday, I did 45 minutes of work that on a Tuesday probably would have taken me two hours, you know, but like a lot of corporations, they, you know, it's like, where are you? We want you at your desk. 
I think that's shifting though, but there's leaders struggled with that during the pandemic. They struggled not seeing their employees. They struggled not having like the tangible hours I saw you at your desk. So I think we're negotiating and sorting it out. So I would say policies, policies can protect us, but they can also hinder us. When I had a corporate job uh, just a couple of years ago, I just left it last year. There was a policy where you weren't allowed to work after 5 p.m. and that you weren't allowed to send emails. And I was like, that doesn't work for me at all. My (laughs) most productive hours were often like after I put my kids to bed and I had all the energy in the world. I was not productive between two o'clock and five o'clock. And then and then I was with the kids and I was like this like and, you know, they could they could see me logging in. They can see, you know, and so I did have the discussions with my leader and they were supportive, except it definitely contradicted the organizational policy. Okay, so that's an organizational policy. That was an organizational policy, yeah. which my leader encouraged. You can sort of see it as a good, it's a good of a nice idea because it yeah. makes people like hopefully have a better work-life good. balance. Yeah, the intention was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, I'd rather go to the gym from 12 to 1 every day because I can't do that in the evening when my kids are sleeping. Like I want to go to the gym during the day and then pull an hour at night, you know? And I was like, this policy is majorly getting in my way. <laughs> like, But I, I, and I think the policy assumes that people aren't able to manage their own time well. And I think, you know, people like, certain people like structure, certain people like freedom. And so sometimes policies can be, that's the hindrance is sometimes it can make you feel like I was like, ooh, am I, am I going to get in trouble? Is this cheating? Is, <laughs> you know, and, and there was definitely like not a disapproval, but not like a full approval when I did kind of bring up table the topic to say, you know, this is when I'm productive and what I want. It was like, well, that completely con- contradicts what the organization is implementing. <laughs> so yeah, policy, I don't know. I don't know. And, and I guess then if you go even a further step further from the organization to like provincial or federal policies as well, that might change yeah. things or affect things that way. I don't know if you've done much kind of looking into that part of it now. No, I mean, I know there's labor regulations out there to protect us, like 40-hour work weeks, et cetera. I think they're more important for, like, shift workers and less important for knowledge workers. Like, I think people who are working, like, back-to-back shifts or have to be on their feet, I I think those provincial and federal regulations can protect people in those types of roles and and create healthy environments. I think knowledge workers, this is a different cup of tea a little bit. Well, I really enjoyed speaking with you. I feel like I got to know you a lot better through this episode and also understand the show better. And I think it's a really amazing project. So I'm I'm glad to have this time with you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I got to know the show better <laughs> by recording this. I really enjoyed it. Let's challenge the nine to five because we can absolutely rebuild these systems and structures that humans invented in the first place. To stay current with the topics that Canadian leaders and innovators are iterating in the world of work, follow and rate this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to engage in dialogue? Follow us on LinkedIn or check out our website, iterationspodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.